Well, good morning. Welcome to the gathering of Harmony Bible Church. It's a great day to be here to worship Him this morning. Uh, Let's go before Him in prayer. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for an opportunity now to consider Your Word. Pray that You'd be with us, that You'd encourage us. God, that You'd help us to uh, live in light of the things that we are about to learn, that You'd help us to apply Your Word and to be changed by it. God, I pray that You'd grow us, that You'd mold us and make us into the image of Your Son this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we're working our way through the book of Galatians. And as we've done so, we're finding ourselves now in the latter part, or the the middle, I guess, if you will, of Galatians chapter 2. And I just want to give a quick review. We're getting to the point in the book where I can't review everything we've talked about thus far, because if we review every single week leading up to this point, eventually I won't have time to teach anything new. We're just going to be reviewing week after week. But I want you to just get a big picture of what Galatians is all about. If you remember... The Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. Galatia is a region, and he's writing these churches because the churches were formed. They believed the gospel, the good news, that God came in the flesh, that He sent His Son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for their sins so that they might be saved, that they might be rescued from the penalty of sin, and that He was raised on that third day, and that He was coming back to rescue them, and that salvation was by grace through faith, apart from the law. That there was no way that they could live up to God's holy law and please Him, but instead, they needed to look to Jesus, the one who could and did indeed do that. And Paul said there's one gospel, only one gospel, that's the gospel of grace. He said, regardless of the messenger, I don't care, essentially what he said, I don't care if an angel from heaven comes and proclaims a different message, it isn't true. You need to behold, you need to remember the gospel of grace. And if you remember, we saw that God opens people's eyes to the truth of the gospel. And that the gospel rescues them. God in His grace rescues people from the penalty of sin. That God changes people's lives through the power of the gospel. That God's grace rescues us from the presence of, from the power of sin. That Day by day, we defeat sin by God's grace and His power in our lives. And then that God encourages people's hearts through the proclamation of the Gospel. That ultimately, we look forward to the, to the day when He will rescue us once and, all, once and for all from the presence of sin. So we have this rescue from the penalty, the rescue from the power of sin in our lives, and ultimately, one day, the rescue of the presence of sin, that we'll be rescued, delivered from that presence of sin, where sin will be no more. We look forward to that day with the return of Christ. And then Paul, he gave his testimony to point to how all these things played out in his life. And he did so not just to validate himself as an apostle, but instead to validate his message. So let's keep all of that in mind as we look at our text this morning. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's word. Galatians 2, 11 through 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. Then the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result being that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. 
But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the Gospel, I said to Cephas, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take some time to walk through this text, consider what's happening as we do so, as well as some background, with the hope that it will prepare us not only for a proper understanding of what the text actually says, but also how we in turn apply it to our lives. We've only got a handful of verses here, 11 through 14, and I've got a lot of notes, a lot of text, a lot of ground to cover. So we want to hit this, hit the ground running, so to speak. So in other words, what, I, what I'm talking about in walking through the text and then seeking to apply it, in other words, what I want to do is first consider what we see taking place in these verses and then look to apply these verses to our lives. And in so doing, I hope to consider five dangers or warnings that can be drawn out of the text this morning. When I began this series, I chose not to create, by the way, a new title, a new sermon title each week. So you'll notice oftentimes, usually what I'll do is I'll choose a sermon title and the text, and instead we've had this graphic up here week after week after week that says, Beholding the Grace of God. So we've had the same graphic week after week throughout this series and will continue until the end. And I did so because I don't want you to lose sight of the overall message of this letter. Namely, that salvation comes by grace through faith apart from the works of the law. That we should behold, we should look upon the grace of God. We should marvel at it and live in light of it. However, that being said, if I was to create a sermon title for this week, and I was to frame it in the negative, I would have called it the danger of hypocrisy. So this message is about being a hypocrite. Or if I were to frame it in the positive, I would have called it the call to live out the gospel. You see, because those two titles are two sides of the same coin. We're called to live out the Gospel, and to not do so is to be a hypocrite. Furthermore, these ideas, these themes, these titles fit within the theme, the greater theme of beholding or looking upon the grace of God. Because a life of hypocrisy is the natural result of forgetting the Gospel of grace. It's a natural result of no longer living out the Gospel. And living out the Gospel, conversely, is in fact beholding, treasuring the grace that God has shown us. So look at verses 11-14 through with me again, and we'll walk through these verses. It says this, But when Cephas, now that's Peter, so it's the same, it's it's the Aramaic name for Peter. Uh, Cephas in Aramaic means rock. Petros in Greek means rock. So when Peter came to Antioch, And he's contrasting the events in Jerusalem. Remember, they were in Jerusalem. We read last week, they were in Jerusalem. And they decided what they were going to do about these Judaizers who were coming and who were saying, you need to not only receive Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. You need to keep the Old Testament law. You remember all those laws? You need to keep them in order to truly please God. Yes, Jesus was the Messiah. Yes, He died. But you also need to do these additional things. So he says, But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. 
And he didn't oppose him behind his back, by the way. He opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Why did he stand condemned? He says, for prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to do these things. So he says, Peter came, he came to Antioch, and prior to the coming of these men from James, they probably came from Jerusalem, that's where James was stationed. He says, prior to them coming, he used to eat with the Gentiles. By the way, I don't think these men actually came from James, that they came with James' authority. And you can read about that in Acts 15, where James himself actually says, there were men that went out from among us, but they didn't have our authorization. They weren't really speaking on our behalf. And I think that's what's being spoken of here. He says, these men, they came down, they claimed to be from James, they came from Jerusalem, and when they did, Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles. You see, he used to eat with the Gentiles. He came down to Antioch, or up to Antioch, actually. He came to Antioch, and he started eating with the Gentiles because he understood the importance of a meal. And we don't understand that. We talk about breaking bread. We have a fellowship meal. But it doesn't hold the same importance in our culture that it did in theirs. That The sharing of a meal was an intimate, important thing in people's lives. That meals were a significant part of everyday life. Whereas for us, we simply go through a drive-thru. We simply, we, we'll eat on a TV tray in front of our TV. Meals are not the same experience that they were for them. And he says, he says, Peter actually came down, and for a Jew who was concerned about all the Old Testament, once concerned about all the Old Testament dietary laws, he was no longer concerned about them. He came down, he started eating with the Gentiles and fellowshipping with them, being intimate with them, until these men came from James. And he says, But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. See, the rest, and then he says, The rest of the Jews joined him in, in hypocrisy, with the result being that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy, that all the Jews started pulling back from their connection to the Gentiles. That's what we see happening here. In fact, it's probably likely, I think we have good reason to believe, that they maybe even wouldn't take communion with them. That the communion meal that we celebrate, where we remember Jesus, we remember his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his coming again, that that was part of a bigger meal in the New Testament church. It was part of a fellowship meal. They would do that, they would break bread together, and then they would celebrate communion as part of that. And he says, and they stopped doing this with the Gentiles. He goes on and he says, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in the presence of all, he said, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is, that you, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Notice that he's not usurping Matthew 18 here and going to his brother in private. I'm sure he either went to Peter privately or the fact that his sin was so public that he addressed it publicly. You see, Paul was acting in accordance with 1 Timothy 5.20, which says that elders who continue in sin are to be rebuked where in the presence of all, so that the rest will be fearful of sinning. Peter was a leader. He was a leader in the church, and when he went and he held himself back, when he no longer fellowshiped with the Jews, others naturally followed suit. He was setting a bad example. 
You said, if you being a Jew do this, how is it that you compel, you, you live like Gentiles and not like Jews, how can you compel the Jews, force the Jews, or the, the Gentiles to live like Jews? He says, you actually live out your convictions when no one's watching. You live like a Gentile. But when others are watching you, you act differently. You compel, you force the Gentiles to live like Jews. You see, what's at stake here is that these Judaizers had come to Galatia and they'd taught this false gospel that you needed to keep the Old Testament law. And it wasn't just about circumcision. It was about all of the Old Testament, apparently. That it was about circumcision, but it was also about what you ate. It was about keeping the dietary laws. And we have to remember the context and who Peter was. If you remember earlier in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, I believe it was, Acts chapter 10, Peter is, he's, he's uh, the centurion, the Gentile Cornelius comes to Peter, and he, Peter's on the rooftop, and he has this vision, and this vision is of these animals being lowered by a sheet, and Peter says, well, he's, he's looking at these animals, he's thinking, what am I supposed to do? And God says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, no, not me, I'm a Jew, I've kept the dietary laws, I've been clean, I've never touched anything unclean, and God says, don't call what I've made clean, unclean. And then he goes with Cornelius. Cornelius says, come with me. He goes with Cornelius. He preaches the gospel. And he sees these Gentiles get saved. He sees these Gentiles receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, if God gave them the Holy Spirit, how can I withhold the gospel from them or even water to be baptized, pointing to the fact that they indeed are saved? And his point is, when he sees this vision and then goes with Cornelius, he understands that this is more than just about food. That this is about God calling him, sending him to the Gentiles, that God has broken down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. That all of the Old Testament was meant to point forward to Jesus, and now He has come. Now that all of the Old Testament prophecy is fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. So that's 11 through 14 as we walked, walk through it. And in light of what we see happening here, Paul calls Peter a hypocrite. He says, he understood this to be true. He actually fellowshiped with the Gentiles, but when these men came down, then he stopped doing so. He calls him a hypocrite. Now it would be very easy at this point to take this message and simply talk about the dangers of being a hypocrite but to do so apart from these verses. In other words, it would be very simple to preach a topical message on hypocrisy and miss the point of what is actually being conveyed here. The question we need to ask is this. How does this text specifically fit within the overall message of Paul's letter? How does this story about Paul confronting Peter fit within this context? And since the central theme of this letter is beholding or looking upon, marveling at the grace of God, the question becomes, how did Peter's hypocrisy undermine or negate God's grace? You see, when we think of hypocrisy, we typically think of people who say one thing and do another. I'm sure you've seen a lot of what we would call hypocrisy on the news this last week. Politicians, journalists, actors, and a whole slew of other people are frequently pointed to as hypocrites. 
Or conversely, if you've spent any time sharing your faith, then you'll know that unbelievers, people you've probably pointed to the Gospel, you've probably heard them say something like, well, the church is full of hypocrites. They say one thing and then do another. Well, by that definition, folks, saying one thing while doing another, we are all indeed hypocrites. Every single one of us by that definition. We say we're called to go and make disciples, yet we fail to live that out if we're honest with ourselves day in and day out. We say that Jesus tells us to care for orphans and widows, yet we often put our own desires far ahead of the needs of others. We say that we're called to love and respect our spouses, yet we see broken marriages throughout the church. You see, the reality of church, the reality of being a Christian, is that we often say one thing and then we do another. We often fail to do what is right. That's why Paul utters these words in Romans 7. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. So I I don't do what I want to do, but instead I do that which I hate. I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man that I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, we, like Paul and Peter, often fail to do what's right. However, I want, to, I want you to know that's not what Paul is addressing here. Paul is not simply addressing saying one thing and doing another. Paul, as we see in the text, has something much more specific in mind here. He confronts Peter for purposefully hiding or covering up his belief in the Gospel. So in this text, we see Peter covering up or hiding his belief in the Gospel. Namely, that salvation is by grace through faith. So as we unpack this, let's look at the first point in our sermon outline. All that's background. The first point in our sermon outline is, number one, hypocrisy betrays the Gospel. Hypocrisy betrays the Gospel. The Greek word hypocrite was originally used to refer to an actor. Someone who would put on a mask and pretend to be someone they're not. That's what Peter's doing here. Peter knew, maybe more than anybody, right? He had this vision from God with the sheet coming down from heaven, with being sent to the, to the Gentiles, seeing Cornelius saved and other Gentile, other Gentile people saved. He knew, maybe better than anyone, that the Gospel tore down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. Peter knew that he could and should eat with the Gentile brothers and sisters who had experienced the grace of God. He knew that he should fellowship with them. So Peter's problem wasn't ignorance. His problem wasn't even conviction. For he knew the right thing to do. Peter's problem was that he believed in the Gospel of grace, but he was purposefully acting as though he didn't. He purposefully acted in a different way. Todd Wilson sums it up well when he says this. He says, Hypocrisy isn't simply failing to live up to what you believe. That's sin, to be sure. But it's... Not the particular sin of hypocrisy. That's not hypocrisy, he says. Nor is it what Paul accuses Peter and the other Jews of doing. When we live out our gospel convictions in one situation, then cover them up in another, that's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when a believer plays the part 
of an unbeliever. We all understand that we can affirm something to be true and yet fail to live up to it. This is what it means to deal with our own sin and our own struggles. But we must understand as well that we can affirm something to be true and yet intentionally live in a way that covers that up and makes it look like we don't believe it to be true. That's the kind of play acting the Bible calls hypocrisy. He goes on and says, it's, kind of, it's a kind of treachery. It's like a husband who removes his wedding ring so he can play the part of a single man. See, Paul is confronting Peter not because he was doing the wrong thing and yet striving hard to fight against it. Paul is confronting Peter for intentionally hiding his gospel convictions. And in so doing, Peter was undermining God's grace. He was putting on a mask to make it seem like he agreed with the Judaizers. Thus, Paul is confronting Peter for denying the gospel before men. You see, if this message was, you better clean up your life and stop being a hypocrite, it would miss the mark. And that's what many of these hypocrite messages would be. You better clean up your life and stop being a hypocrite. In fact, such a message, I think, might encourage you to be more of a hypocrite. It might encourage you to be a hypocrite like Peter. A hypocrite who knows their need for grace, yet parades around their own self-righteousness when in the company of other self-righteous people. That's a hypocrite. You see, the point that I'm trying to drive home is that there's more than one type of hypocrite, and we focus on one, sometimes at at the exclusion of the other. There's not only the hypocrite who masks their gospel convictions by denying the gospel when they're around sinners, right? They go to a to a party and they deny the truth of the gospel in their actions, they deny the truth of the gospel in their words, and they act like a sinner by playing the role of a sinner, putting on that mask. But there's also the hypocrite, and I think this might be more dangerous in our churches because we all know that's wrong. There's also the hypocrite who masks their gospel convictions when they're around the self-righteous. And they do so by playing the role of the self-righteous. Both are hypocritical, and both deny the gospel. So having seen, number one, that hypocrisy betrays the gospel, that it's a denial of the gospel. Now let's consider, number two, that hypocrisy is born out of fear. Hypocrisy is born out of fear. A natural question that we should ask is, why would Peter deny the gospel with his actions? This is the Apostle Peter. I mean, after all, this guy is pretty bold. This is the guy who walked on water with Jesus. This is the guy who cut off the priest's servant's ear when they came to arrest Jesus. He drew his sword and he cut off his ear. This is the guy who stood up at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and boldly proclaimed to the Jews, you killed Jesus. And 3,000 people were saved that day. He risked his own life and said, you killed Jesus on the temple steps. This is the same Peter who in Acts 15 actually sent Paul and said, you have my blessing, you have my approval, I'm part of this. Yes, go, preach to the Gentiles. Peter was bold. Let's not forget, this is the same Peter who while walking on water took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. This is the same Peter who denied Jesus three times and said, I never knew the man. This is the same Peter who, when things got tough, He went back to fishing for fish instead of fishing for men. So the question still remains, why did Peter stop eating with the Gentiles? Well, Paul says that Peter's actions were because he feared the party 
of the circumcision. He feared the party of the circumcision. And it's not likely that he feared that they would physically harm him. He's already stood up to them before in Acts. He stood up to the party of circumcision and said, no, the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 11, the Holy Spirit fell upon these Gentiles and God gave them these gifts. We cannot withhold the Gospel from them. But then he comes here and he starts in Antioch withdrawing and fearing them. Peter's actions are not all that uncommon to man. To fear men more than to fear God. That's why Proverbs 29-25 warns us. It says, The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. See, Peter was doing the very thing we we see described in John 12 when we read that many of the rulers believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they weren't confessing Him for fear that they'd be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of man rather than the approval of God. That's what John 12 says. You see, Peter wasn't being a hypocrite because he didn't really believe the Gospel. Peter was being a hypocrite because he did believe the Gospel, yet he denied it before men. And many times, we too are like Peter. We love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And we put on a mask that hides our conviction. We hide behind a mask, and we play the part of an unbeliever, whether the sinner or the self-righteous. And in reality, we're both sinner and righteous. We're both sinner and saint in Christ. That we recognize the greatness of our sin, but we recognize the power of God in our lives. And instead of pointing to the grace of God, we hide the grace of God because we're afraid of men. So having seen that, number one, hypocrisy betrays the Gospel, and number two, hypocrisy is born out of fear, let's consider thirdly that hypocrisy builds over time. Hypocrisy builds over time. It begins subtly and then grows in our lives. We don't normally speak this way. The New American Standard says, he began to hold himself aloof. But it simply means to separate oneself. He pulled back and he withdrew. He separated himself. So notice the the progression that takes place here. Fear causes Peter to first begin to withdraw, and then eventually he completely separates himself from the Gentile believers in Antioch. We don't know what this looked like, but we've all, we've all done it, where we slowly kind of separate ourselves from something. And that seems to be what Peter is doing here. At first he had an excuse. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't come over tonight. I've got uh, this other thing i got to go to. Oh, well, you know what? I'm really busy. Sorry I haven't seen you in a while. And then before long, he's, he's, he's not looking in their direction. And then he's not associating at all, completely avoiding the Gentile believers. Holding himself aloof, separating himself. So this separation grows. It builds over time. And hypocrisy in our lives grows and builds over time. It's the very nature of sin. Hypocrisy is sin, and the nature of sin is for it to grow and take root in our lives. That's why James 1 says, But each one, when he is tempted, he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So you have this temptation, this carrying away, this lust, and then it's conceived and it gives birth to sin. And then at the the end result is it brings forth death. There's this downward spiral. It's exactly what happened in Genesis 3, folks. 
When you think of Eve, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took. She saw, she knew that it was, a, she reflected on the fact that it was good, good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. It was pretty. And then she was, she saw that it was desirable. She started to lust after it. And then she took it and she ate it. You see, sin has a tendency to grow and take root in our lives. And hypocrisy builds over time. It may begin subtly, but it builds and builds and builds in our lives. And we should heed that warning. So hypocrisy betrays the gospel. Hypocrisy is born out of fear. And hypocrisy builds over time. Now let's consider the fourth point. Hypocrisy brings condemnation. Hypocrisy brings condemnation. When Paul speaks of Peter being condemned, he doesn't mean that he lost his salvation, for that's not possible for those who are regenerate, for those who are born again. Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So there's no ultimate condemnation for those who are in Christ because their sins have been atoned for. They've been paid for on the cross. However, one can be born again and still be guilty of sinning against the Lord. This is exactly what Paul's point is here. Peter was guilty. He stood condemned. He was guilty before God. He was walking in willful disobedience to the Lord. God promises that He will finish the work that He starts in us. I want you to remember that. God promises that He's going to finish the work that He starts in us. So even though Peter was walking in willful disobedience, if Peter was a true believer, he wouldn't continue down that path that God was going to carry him through to completion. However, there's a warning that if we continue on, it means that our heart is unregenerate. That God will carry us through to completion, but for those who continue on in sin, it means that they are unregenerate. Hebrews 10 says, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. In other words, ongoing, unrepentant sin brings about final and complete condemnation, not because people lose their salvation, but because they were never born again to begin with. They're unregenerate. Whereas the believer may walk in disobedience for a time like Peter did, but God disciplines those He loves, and He brings them to repentance. That's what Scripture teaches. Sometime when you have time, I'd encourage you to Read 2 Peter chapter 1. We're actually, that's your homework assignment for Sunday school anyway, is to read the first part of 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. I'd encourage you to read all of 2 Peter chapter 1 and to think about what Peter, who wrote that letter later, writes about staying in the faith and holding fast to the gospel. He says, as long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. Be all the more diligent to make certain of his calling in your life. Make sure you're saved. Because if you are, you won't stumble. Entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you, is what he says. So we know Peter, he repents. We know that Peter turns back to the Lord. However, hypocrisy, ongoing hypocrisy, brings condemnation and it brings a guilty verdict from God to us. So having seen that hypocrisy betrays the gospel, that it's born out of fear, that it builds over time and that it brings condemnation, let's look at our final point in our sermon outline, our fifth and final point. The last warning is hypocrisy begets 
hypocrisy. Hypocrisy actually gives birth to more hypocrisy. Paul says the result of Peter's hypocrisy was that the rest of the Jews joined him, and even Barnabas was carried away. He says, this wasn't just Peter. All the Jews Jews joined him, and then he says, even Barnabas, my faithful fellow servant, the one whose name means son of encouragement, even Barnabas, who is so solid, was carried away. This should be a good warning for us. Take heed you stand lest you fall. Be very careful. Even Barnabas was carried away. We say, yes, Peter, Peter's kind of, you know, I, I relate a lot to Peter anyway. He's kind of, I don't know, he's like this anyway, you know, but Barnabas just seems pretty steadfast. And he says, even Barnabas was carried away because of this. Furthermore, we read that Peter's hypocrisy was forcing the Jews, the Gentiles to live like Jews. Not only all the Jews were carried away, but even the Gentiles, they were like, well, you know what? Maybe we do need to get circumcised. Maybe we do need to keep these dietary laws. They're, they're forcing us to do this. Maybe we do need to do these things. You see, the sin of hypocrisy has this ever-widening impact. And the picture that's painted here is one of hypocrisy beginning with Peter, but quickly impacting others. And the thing I want to warn you folks is that your sin doesn't just affect you. It does not just affect you. Your sin affects others. And your denial of the gospel before men, it doesn't just affect you. It affects others. And it affects others in the church. So by way of review, hypocrisy betrays the gospel. Hypocrisy is born out of fear. Hypocrisy builds over time. Hypocrisy brings condemnation. And hypocrisy begets hypocrisy. How's that for an encouraging message, folks? Right. So the question is, so how do we, as Harmony Bible Church, both individually and corporately, specifically apply all of this to our lives? How do we take this message and then apply it? Well, if you're here today and you're not a believer, right? we've talked about this Gospel, the good news of Jesus, what God has done for us in His grace. Grace simply meaning unmerited favor that he sent his son not because we deserved it or earned it but because he gave it as he gave his son as a free gift paying the penalty for our sin if you're not a follower of Jesus today I encourage you to behold the grace of God to look upon the grace of God to marvel at the grace of God and then to live in light of the grace of God say today is the day of salvation to draw a line in the sand And I'm not much for raising your hand. I'm not much for altar calls. I'm not much for all that stuff because those things can be done without gospel conviction. However, I think there is a time to say, today's the day. I'm going to draw a line in the sand. I'm going to write a date in my Bible. I'm going to say that today, from this point forward, I know for sure that I have made a decision to follow Christ. To trust not in myself, not in my own ability to keep the law, to eat the right foods, to be circumcised, or whatever else, to be a good person, because you're not going to be good enough, but instead to throw yourself upon the grace of God and say, today is the day I'm drawing a line in the sand where I will do this from now on. I will throw myself upon God's grace. I will trust fully in what He's done through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's how I want you to apply this if you're not a believer. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you've done that before, then I want you to do the same thing. Continue to behold the grace of God. Marvel at it. 
Live in light of it. We need to repent of our hypocrisy. We need to repent of putting on a mask that makes ourselves look like an unbeliever when it's expedient. Or when fear grips us. And instead to say, I will stand firm in the grace of God. I will live in light of the Gospel. I posted a quote on Facebook this week by Martin Luther. Martin Luther saw this text as incredibly encouraging. And I know that this is a hard text. We talk about hypocrisy and hopefully we're all convicted that we don't always live out our Gospel convictions day in and day out. But Martin Luther felt that this was, this was encouraging. And here's why. He said, No man has ever fallen so grievously that he could not have stood up again. On the other hand, no one has such a sure footing that he cannot fall. If Peter fell, I too may fall. If he stood up again, so can I. So join ranks with Peter and stand up again. And instead of being a hypocrite, be bold for the Gospel of Christ. Day in and day out, behold the grace of God so that you can stand up and behold the grace of God and live in light of the grace of God. And when we contrast hypocrisy with boldness, hypocrisy with Gospel conviction, here's what we see. Hypocrisy abandons the Gospel. It betrays the Gospel. Whereas boldness is in step with the Gospel. Boldness doesn't deny the Gospel, but it lifts up the beauty of what God has done for us. Hypocrisy is born out of fear, whereas boldness is born out of gratitude. Because of what Christ did for me, I will proclaim His excellencies to the nations. Hypocrisy is subtle and builds over time. And boldness can actually begin small and build over time as well. Praise God that there's little victories of boldness. And it grows in our hearts as we take that step and live in light of the Gospel. Hypocrisy brings condemnation, whereas boldness brings reward. That with boldness comes the joy of seeing others get to know and trust Jesus Christ. That with boldness comes the reward of knowing that you are living in a way that's pleasing to God regardless of people's response. Even if there is real reason to fear, boldness brings reward. And then lastly, hypocrisy begets hypocrisy. But in the same way, boldness begets boldness. That if you're bold in the church, that others will follow suit. That your kids will follow suit. Your spouse will follow suit. To being an example to others around you. That we're called to live in light of the truth of the Gospel and no longer put on a mask. So I would encourage you to take off the mask. It's easy to take it off on Sunday morning in church. It's hard on Monday morning. It's hard on Monday afternoon. I get it. It's hard when you're at your neighbor's house on Sunday afternoon or wherever you are. It's hard with your family who doesn't believe. But I'd encourage you to take off the mask and point to the Gospel. The Gospel of grace. Don't live your life pretending to be the sinner just like them or pretending to be the self-righteous But instead, recognize that you are a sinner saved by grace. Remember that day in and day out and tell that to others. Point to His goodness, not your own. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace. I thank You that Peter 
though he stumbled, that he got back up, that by your grace you used him mightily to continue to reach other people, to use him for your glory in the church. God, we know that we will indeed stumble. God, we know that we have acted out the role of an unbeliever, that we have been hypocrites. God, that we have believed the gospel. Many of us in this room have believed the gospel with our hearts and yet pretended to not know you just as Peter did. God, forgive us for that. Give us a boldness. Give us a boldness that exists all the time, regardless of circumstance. God, help us to not be fearful. Help us to take small steps to be bold and to grow in that. Help us to reap the rewards, both for ourselves and others, of being bold. And God, help us to be an example to others around us. As we reflect on your grace, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.